and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture in order from the very first award ceremony to eventually the present year. I'm Susan Araslin. I'm David Daw. And this week we are still in 1936 with the year's winner, the great Ziegfeld. Yeah, I I don't necessarily know what to say about this one because there's so much. Go- I mean, for starters, it's almost exactly three hours long. Yes. And, you know, the first hour of this movie, I was like, oh, I could definitely watch this movie for three hours. By the end of hour two, I was like, oh, my God, when does this movie end? <laughs> I wouldn't go that far, but I it, this movie is just all over the place, and like every time it does something really, really good, which it does, I would say semi regularly. Yeah, it really feels the need to just completely demolish all of that goodwill by being incredibly racist or incredibly sexist. Or occasionally, just out of nowhere, having all of the servants get together to thank the rich people for being so generous. Yeah, there there does tend to be a lot of that. I mean, I, I think one of my major issues about this film is it is such a glossed over, glorified, whitewashed biopic that it is not... It, it's almost not a biopic. Like, did you see... Greatest Showman, which eventually we will watch for this podcast, I think. Uh, no, I guess I'm I'm waiting for us to watch it in like nine years. Was it nominated? I don't know. I don't think so, but I don't oh, know. Oh, no, it wasn't. Okay, it should not have been. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, like, it was a musical that came out last year, ostensibly about P.T. Barnum. And it was like, what if P.T. Barnum, but he was a totally sweet and lovable human who's like only real problem was that he tended to put his show over his family and not like all of the other major complications with this character that is what this movie does it's like yeah well you know he kind of fell in love with the chorus girl but it wasn't really that big of a deal and yeah oh by the way his only real problem was he kept running into debt because of his show which was his whole life and it's like mm, he was actually kind of a womanizing piece of shit yeah the weird thing about it is not so much that it whitewashes the terrible things about him it's that those terrible things about him are the only things people seem to know about him and so the movie is still about them but is these weird like boulderized like no one cares versions of it like oh a drunk woman took a pass at him and kissed him and he kind of kissed her back and not like no, he was serially cheating on his wife constantly with every chorus girl he could find for years. Right. Like, apparently, if you were a Ziegfeld girl and he found you at all attractive, it was, like, expected that you were going to sleep with him. Like, that was part of your job. Yeah. And so, like, I I do know the biopics that are just like, "Mm, let's leave out the part where he murdered a guy. (laughs) 
And this kind of wants to be that, but then is weirdly invested in showing you the bad things about him, but presenting them as charming in some strange way. Right. It would be more irritating if it were more effective. Instead, it's just strange. Like, if it was more effective at making him seem likable... I would be like, this is a terrible thing to do, given his actual history, and don't do that. But mostly you still kind of think he's a piece of shit in this movie that downplays it so hard (laughs) that you're just like, God, why did you even bring it up if you so clearly don't want us to dislike him for all of these things? Right, right. So the plot of the movie, it's about Flo Ziegfeld, who founded the Ziegfeld Follies, which was like a big... It was like the proto-Broadway, essentially, in New York, where they did these like massive spectacle shows, and most of them were reviews, but they were very famous for having Ziegfeld girls who were kind of the proto-Rockettes, really. (laughs) And it starts with him at the Chicago World's Fair, where he is presenting the great Sandow, who is the world's strongest man, and keeps losing customers to little egypt who was a belly dancer but then through some like smart marketing he ends up making a ton of money his dad is a teacher at like he's a piano teacher in chicago it's very strange because it keeps bringing up these things where you're like oh i guess this is going to be important or come back later and they don't really yes his dad is a music teacher in chicago who vaguely disapproves of the sort of showmany stuff about his career in entertainment And briefly threatens to, like, cut him out of the family, which even the movie doesn't believe he's going to do. Right. And then just disappears for the rest of the film. So you're like, well, why do you even care that the dad vaguely disapproves of the son? And the answer is you don't. You're there so that you can know that he later hits on a girl he's known since she was, like, 11. Was she even 11? (laughs) God, yeah. But there's just a little girl there that has a cute, like, little girl crush on an adult man. But then she comes back as, like, a 19-year-old girl and hits on him. And he's like, oh, I don't know about this. But also, I don't know about it enough to not to, like, stop it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to not make out with her. She's hot. That's sort of the the thought process there. But yeah, so that's that's why we have to go and visit the dad is so that we meet this 11-year-old girl. Then he goes on a ship to Paris with the guy who was presenting Little Egypt, who is sort of, he's not even the antagonist. Like, they have a friendly antagonism. What is the guy's name? Because I feel like this will be... Yeah, it's so boring. I always... Billings. Billings, yeah. So Billings is going to France to sign this star, Anna Held. She's like a cabaret star. And then, of course, Flo ends up signing her instead. And then Anna comes to New York and he presents her in various shows. She falls in love with him for completely indeterminate reasons because he kind of treats every woman like garbage. He's charming about it, but he's always negging everybody. It seems like she falls in love with him for his honesty, which is the most bonkers thing. Because he is, but it is literally the only scene in the movie where he is anything close to 
honest. And including with her, just every other scene with her, he's so clearly lying his ass off. But she also is just presented as so mercurial and just like such an artist that her emotions are all over the place. And there's no really pleasing her because she's just so dramatic, which makes it okay later when they get divorced. Yeah, she, the portrayal of her, I have a whole lot to say about in a minute. Anyway, then there's like a big production number, which is his first Follies. Which we'll also get to. Yeah, because that's honestly, I was going to, when you said, here's the plot of the movie, I was going to be like, there's a 75 foot wedding cake that is a hundred stories tall and weighs like a billion pounds. And there's a thousand women on it. That's the plot of this film. And, and, the, <laughs> and the the number that they do is 20 minutes long. Yeah. And it's actually great. Anyway, then he... Gets involved with this chorus girl, Audrey Dane, who is a fictional character based on an actual chorus girl that he apparently had an on-again, off-again affair with forever, but who also said to the studio that if they mentioned her by name, she would sue them. Then that kind of fizzles out when he meets Billy Burke. Which, this is the most bonkers thing in the world to me. Myrna Loy is fine as Billy Burke, but Billy Burke, an actual human being who was and still working at the time this movie was made, under contract. Yeah, three years after this, she is going to become Glinda the Good Witch. Like, she's not even old. Yeah, it's literally the studio. She's under contract with the studio making the film, and the studio goes, you're not a big enough star to play you. No, that wasn't the issue. It was that she they felt she was too old to play her younger self. There's two different versions of the argument on the Wikipedia page. One is that the studio felt that she wasn't enough of a name, and the other was that she was too old to play younger her. Both of which are bonkers. Yes. But it, it, anyway, Myrna Loy ends up playing her in this, which is honestly just kind of distracting. Um, because she looks very different than uh, she did the last time you saw her in Thin Man, because she's trying to look like Billy Burke and succeeding with everything except for her profile. And it's also such a waste of Myrna Loy, too, because the movie is, again, so sanitized that the relationship with Billy Burke is like, oh, well, and then he met her and he never cheated on his wife again. And like, that's not what happens. But also, like, the character of Billy Burke does nothing except act as a sort of cipher for, like, yeah, this was a period of time where he fell in love with some woman. And this, for me, is where the movie becomes an hour too long, honestly. Yeah. Because it feels like we're playing all of Act 2 over again. I think there's that. And then Act 3, to me, is just worthless. The end-of-life stuff with him is so pointless. Everything after he loses it all in the stock market, which, spoiler alert. But yes, there is just this thing of, like, people will announce he's down again so that he can be up again in the next scene, and you never explore, like, what he does to have a hit show versus when he has a run of bad luck. It's just he announces, like, I'm gonna do it! I'm gonna do all of it! The world's gonna remember my name! And then it happens... 
or it doesn't happen, and then you have to wait a little while longer for it to happen again. Yeah, well, and the way that they do it is that, like, we don't even see any of the shows. They just show, like, the marquees for the shows. It's like, you know, Flo Ziegfeld presents Showboat. Flo Ziegfeld presents whatever else this show was called. And then, like, you hear somebody singing Old Man River underneath it. And they do that twice. They're like, yeah, he's down. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put all my money in and put on a show again. And then we have another, like, five-minute montage of the same shows. Yeah. And the same marquees. Right. When he dies, he dies with this overdramatic maudlin, like, Ah, yes, they'll remember the greatest performances ever seen on Broadway. And it's like, show no one remembers, show no one remembers, bad show, showboat. (laughs) And you're like, the, the... (laughs) The the <laughs> That's so true though. Cause it's it's Whoopi the the Three Musketeers. God, what's even the fourth one? Rio Rita. Yeah, and and Showboat. Which arguably like Showboat was an amazing show. It, yeah. It's still an amazing show. But I've like I've never even heard of Rio Rita until now. Yeah. I also was just like, oh, they did a Three Musketeers, eh? Yep, basically. <laughs> or like Whoopi, hmm, what is that show even about? I think it's about, oh, we've got this song called Making Whoopi. Uh, yeah, that that seems about right. Anyway, then he dies across from the theater that is playing Showboat, I guess. His death scene is like a bazillion hours long. His death scene is like the death scene at the start of Citizen Kane, except not played with any irony at all. With just completely straight, like, oh, how tragic this great man died. And then he dies, and that's the end of it. So. (laughs) Let's talk about the, like, 20-minute musical sequence in the middle of this movie that is absolutely fantastic and bookended by terrible racism so that I can't even like it. Yeah, so do you want to talk about the musical scene first, or do you want to talk about the blackface number that comes right before it first? I mean, like, I think we can do... I think we can kind of do it as it comes in the movie where you get like this great sequence of like pushing through the crowds in the theater of like, oh, man, it's all happening. This is the biggest show he's ever done. It's incredible. What are we going to see? Close up of a placard of a dude in blackface. Completely unnecessary one man blackface number in front of a like curtain has nothing to do with what you would think of as, like, a huge showstopper Zigfield show. I went through, like, a torrent of thoughts on this blackface number. Of course, my initial reaction was, oh, dear God, why are we having a blackface number? Yep. It's a minstrel performance, so it's, like, not just blackface, but the, like, hyper-exaggerated minstrel-style blackface with the white mouth and everything else. And then my second thought was, well, I mean, they probably did have minstrel performances on the the Folly stage. So, like, this is setting a period of time for us. And then I thought, well, that's bullshit because this movie is in no way dedicated to any level of historical accuracy at all. (laughs) To me, it's that I did go to the, like... Well, I guess we can talk about it in the context of, like, this actually was going on on Broadway at the time. And then we get to coming out of the musical number 
a terrible mammy stereotype for no goddamn reason who appears in one scene and you suddenly realize, oh, the movie just really wanted to do a blackface number. Right, right. The movie has no interest in indicting that or discussing it as a thing of its time. It just wanted to do blackface. Right, because there are definitely movies and television shows contemporarily that show that sort of thing that minstrel shows were a big attraction i mean i think that there's one actually in boardwalk empire but boardwalk empire's framing of it is an indictment it's like this was a bad period of time and this was a bad thing done in a bad period of time and this movie does not do that at all no and it's like i say a shame because there's this long take incredible set number with i'm reading this off the wikipedia page i did not count there's 175 spiral steps where this gigantic set spins around and there's something going on on the bottom layer of of it in all the way around and then you start tracking up the staircase and new ridiculous shit happens at like every two stairs of the staircase and the costumes are unreal i mean things that we haven't even seen before (laughs) and like literally there's got to be conservatively 300 dancers in this number oh yeah i mean between dancers and performers and singers and the guys who are like pretending to play rhapsody and blue on pianos and the opera singers doing like snippets of some of the greatest arias of all time i mean like it's an incredible number like it's just a shame this movie's around it because like You get why this won. I don't think we are going to agree this should have won at the end of this year. No, but I totally understand why. It's a giant, expensive spectacle of a movie. Yeah. When it is a giant, expensive spectacle and not a, like, kind of boring, increasingly boring biopic. I read somewhere that one of the reasons that the movie clocks in at three hours is because they wanted to make sure to use up as much of the film that they'd shot as possible because it was so expensive. And so it was not edited brutally. And it really, really could have been. Honestly, like, just show me him rising to fame and I don't need to see all of this stuff once Billy Burke comes in the picture. Yeah. Sorry, Billy. I know you were the consultant on here to make sure that everything was represented correctly. But your totally sanitized love affair with him is boring. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, like, even let her come in, let him find, like, love and pretend he's a changed man afterward. But just end the movie there. Don't go through this weird sequence where, like, they put him in bad old age makeup. That's the other thing is, like, William Powell cannot do old Ziegfeld at all. Which is unfortunate, because his performance up to that point is so great. Yes, he does this great job of, like, you want him to put one over on everybody, even as he does a good job of representing, like, God, this guy is an asshole and does owe all these people money. He does a good job of 
making you sort of like him as a bit of a con man. And I think part of it is that the movie invents all of these like new conflicts for Ziegfeld that are totally uninteresting. Like, I don't care that Ziegfeld briefly thought he was past his prime, but then he wasn't because he was going to make showboat still. Right. Like, I don't I don't give a shit. Just shorthand that to, and then he made Showboat, because honestly, that's all that you get out of it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I will say that The Greatest Showman, while in no way being uh, at all true to life for the story of P.T. Barnum, does quit while it's ahead. It's like, here's how he rose to fame, and like, now we're done. And this movie doesn't and should have. It's briefly interesting that they actually show the stock market crash, given what recent history it was. But then they don't really do anything with it. It's just like, then he's poor and that you'd care more if he hadn't been poor like eight other times in the movie. The last full hour of this is almost completely unnecessary. You could easily cut it down to like 210, 215 and lose nothing of value. Going to what happens after the big number with the Mammy stereotype is again, we have a maid who comes in and is, I'm conflicted about this because absolutely she is a stereotype, but I feel like for the first time we've actually had someone who had some level of intelligence in this. I don't think that it's okay, but as our mammy stereotypes go, this one seems to have, like, the most to say. I guess, but it feels like she has the most to say because she has this little patter thing with the legally distinct from the chorus girl that was gonna sue if you put her in the movie Chorus Girl. Audrey Dane, yes. Where Audrey Dane keeps mockingly saying her spoonerisms back at her. Like, it seems like she has lines so that a white woman can point out she's saying lines wrong a lot, which ain't great. I thought that they were just using, like, slang. I, it, it's... I mean, you could, you're probably right, considering the rest of this movie. (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's also, like, it's weird because you're not supposed to really like Audrey Dane. And so I also thought, like, maybe you're supposed to think she's kind of a terrible person for doing this. But also maybe they just thought it would be fun to do a bunch of African-American dialect and then mock the African-American dialect because haha. No, you're probably right. I mean, I, I wasn't thrilled about it at all. It just felt like there was some slight progress, but maybe I'm maybe I'm just hopeful. And I think this was also at the point of the movie where I was like trying to find a way to like it despite the fact that we had just had a a minstrel performance absolutely i was like ready to go like okay well i guess just like we can't do anything because of the blackface thing and then this musical number that was genuinely incredible happened and i did spend about 30 minutes going like is there some way we can salvage this to the no no there really isn't and then by the end of the movie i'm like it's not even worth trying to salvage like it's like It's too long. The thing that is great about it is thoroughly disconnected from the rest of the film, which is at best just okay. And then we do have another really big, exciting musical number, which has dogs in it. God, that number was so weird. It was so weird. And and honestly, like, they should have done that one first, because after the wedding cake number, you, you can't top that. You just can't. No, they absolutely should have flipped those because, yes, but they have the big weird lead up with the daughter to why this is all circus themed. 
vaguely before someone comes out and announces, actually, this is just a Ziegfeld show. No one cares about circuses. Circuses are dumb as shit. Well, I mean, the, the whole song is a circus should be different from a Ziegfeld show. That's like literally this the thing that they sing over and over again. And then there's a weird ballet involving Russian wolfhounds. And it kind of goes on for too long. Honestly. Oh, it goes on way too long, and mostly the thing that's supposed to be impressive about it is the dogs stand still. <laughs> yeah, they don't move. Yeah. They're like, yeah, everything's cool, I'm just gonna stand in a straight line while these ballet dancers spin around me. The other genuinely impressive piece of set building, which is in the, like, weird musical number that they keep saying is on the roof, but then is very clearly indoors... There's just this 15 minute sequence where like every scene ends with you got to go up to the roof where you got you're doing the performance on the roof. Everybody's looking for you on the roof. And then you get there and it's just like there's just a second theater. I guess it's above the other one. But this is not the roof of anything. No, no, they are not outside. I don't. It's it's very uh bizarre. But there is a sequence with Ray Bolger, who's playing, I guess, just himself but he, who does sort of very physical quasi comedy dance routines where he does a sort of fine weird tap number but then they bring out this huge set where there's a bunch of Ziegfeld girls in dresses with like hoop skirts that match the sort of material of the background and also match these small platforms jutting out from all of them because they're all arranged like 40 feet high in this big grid (laughs) and he climbs like through all of them in a like oh now this set is really neat at least weird musical number about what it means to be a Ziegfeld girl. Yeah. Which, by the way, everything it means to be a Ziegfeld girl is like, get the hell out of there, girl. Like, go, run, run, do not walk. Go find a different job. But the but the sets, again, the set is neat. The set is definitely neat. Speaking of girls, this movie's representation of women is abysmal. I mean, really, just so, so bad. Starting really with the girl who's 11, when he goes and sits on the piano bench with her, and she's like, we're we're engaged, right? And he's like, well, I can't marry you because you see, I have to love all of the girls. And I'm like, this is weird and creepy, but okay. Like, why are we getting this moment where it's shown that actually Ziegfeld is a womanizing piece of shit in a discussion with a little child? I think it's because that is supposed to be, you are supposed to feel better about him after that. I think you are supposed to think he genuinely believes this, like, weird chaste version of loving all the girls that he presents to an 11 year old of just like i love them all so much i have to like glorify them and show them all to the world and it's like yeah but you also banged like all of them didn't you (laughs) yeah then we have anna held and louise rayner who plays her actually won the award for best actress It's just awful. Her performance is awful. Anna Held is needy and jealous and suspicious and whiny. She's basically just like histrionics 
personified. I agree with all of that, but I don't blame Louise Rayner for any of it. No, I don't either. There's a degree to which I kind of think she deserves Best Actress for like keeping that together because it's such a terrible misogynistic parody. And like my parents were both sort of arts professors. So I grew up around like actors are dramatic people. They're, they, but this is so over the top, like never date an actress. They're all over the place that like, I feel like I blame the script for that. Right. And kind of want to give Louise Rayner credit for holding it together as a recognizable human being at all given what the plot forces her to do. But, like, I, I also think, like, certainly there were better performances this year. Yeah. It's complex. But, like, I think the big problem with Anna Held as a character is that, like, she got a real bad shake in life. And the movie what keeps trying to come up with ways where it's actually her fault. Yeah, you know, that does actually feel like what it is like oh yeah i mean he cheated on her with audrey dane who was also like a, a frigid drunk and a tease but i mean come on anna held was awful and you're like uh, maybe you could just make people actually human i don't know and a part of this is maybe don't have the widow of a womanizing piece of shit be your point person for making the movie like a year after he dies. And I understand like she sold the rights for this because he died with a ton of debt and she wanted to pay it off. But it definitely feels like, oh, well, every other woman in his life was a monster. Yeah. And I was sweet and loving and kind and didn't fall for his shit. But what that ends up doing is making the Billy Burke character really boring and stiff. Yeah. She has no opportunity to have any kind of conflict. No. In fact, she's so supportive of him that you're like, God, you're actually the biggest sucker of all. <laughs> yeah, right. And when she meets him, they're at some kind of dance or whatever and he tells the band that every time that he's near her to stop playing because it's one of these where it's like musical chairs partners or whatever and she talks trash about Ziegfeld because she doesn't know that it's him yet and how he's a womanizer and and a bore and is probably like fat and whatever else and then she finds out that it's him and I guess what we're supposed to believe is, oh, well, she was never going to be taken in by him because she'd been warned from the beginning, even before she met him. And it, it doesn't play that way. No, there's this weird thing, and that's maybe the worst example of it, where a scene will end definitively on you're not going to get what you want. And there's absolutely no reason I should give it to you. And you need to change your behavior. Jump cut to people just giving it to him. He just gets it anyway. And the worst one is that scene ends with her definitively going like, yeah, my date is kind of a boring piece of shit and I don't like him at all, but I'm still never going out with you. Cut to the proposal where they've been dating for a year. And it's like, you needed to do something in between those two. That is the whole problem with the last act of this movie is that it's unnecessary and that they're trying to fly through 
I don't know, 20 years of his life in an hour. So nothing gets any attention that it deserves. It's like, wait, why is this happening now? No, he mourns his first marriage for about five minutes before seeing Billy Burke and just immediately falling for her. Oh, God. And of course... Anna Held is like losing her shit about it. And then we have to have her call and tell him how happy she is for him. Right. This poor woman that we have absolutely raked across the coals. Now we're like giving her the benefit of the doubt and showing that she is the bigger person after all of this. When she was frequently throwing a fit about anything oh see i didn't think that scene was there to make her seem like the bigger person i think that scene was there so that you would get that from his point of view she really was fine with all of it because all he ever hears is her making a phone call about how happy she is oh god yeah i mean that does feel like this movie and like it's it's terrible but they also like just reality flies out the window in that last hour there's all these scenes with like the money guys, the people who keep putting up the collateral for Zigfield shows, where they increasingly laugh at just what a terrible investment Zigfield is and go like, God, no one should ever give him money. I gave him all my money. Ha ha ha. And it's like, what? Mm, why? That's an actual cut that happens in the movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No one should ever invest in him. He's a total flop and a loser. But I also gave him the million dollars or whatever to do his show. And you're like, what? But what was the. How did that. What? <laughs> it's one of those movies that's in the moment. I had problems with it, but it's so much more frustrating, really trying to put my thoughts in order about it than it was as a watch. It still wasn't great as a watch, but it's like in retrospect, it's like, God, that also made no sense. Boy, you really didn't need that 30 minute stretch of this movie at all. Why was this character even in the film for just a lot of the movie? Oh, yeah. Like the girl at the beginning that he meets at the World's Fair. Right. Who just disappears. But there's a whole flirtation there that happens. She is with Billings, but she keeps going back and showing that she's interested in Siegfeld. And this happens for like a good half hour. And then she utterly disappears. Yeah. Which is too bad because that girl was cute. I mean, mostly it seems like she is there to present that, one, Ziegfeld, his way of flirting is to tell women that they're dressed badly. Yeah, he invented negging. And that it works. The negging is also so weird, by the way. The only one of them that even makes sense to me as something that would ever play is the one that he does with Anna Held, where he tells her she shouldn't wear so much jewelry. Other women need that much jewelry on their hands, but you don't. Everything else is like, you suck at color theory. You spend too much on clothes. Right. You look terrible in that hat. <laughs> like just, it's not even, it's not even negging them. It's just like, you're a dumb idiot woman. <laughs> Yeah, there's no there's no softening to the blow. It doesn't it does not work for me anyway. Now, William Powell is so charming that he does manage to kind of pull it off. But it, it was really it was really very frustrating. The one woman in this movie that I feel like is treated in a way that is both interesting and fair is Fanny Bryce. 
who is working in burlesque mm-hmm. and he goes and basically like lures her away to be in the follies and everybody is like why her she's not pretty and he's like yeah but she can sing and he does it by selling her a fur coat that is audrey dane's <laughs> For $40. Yeah. Because she thinks that he's just like a stage door peddler and that it's a fake fur. And then one of the other burlesque girls is like, oh my God, Fanny, this is a, this is a real fur. And then he sends the $40 back to her and says like, I can't take your money. So here it is, but consider the fur a gift and, you know, come and work with me. And then that's the end of Fanny Bryce, which really kind of sucked because you never even get to see her actually perform in the Follies. Oh, no, you do. You get, Well, you get to see her in that rehearsal number. Yeah. That's really interesting because she comes out and is it's it to me. It is interesting because Fanny Bryce is playing herself. She kind of gets to leave a scene with Zigfield being an asshole with Zigfield actually coming off as an asshole instead of a scene where he's kind of an asshole, but then everyone in the universe is like, yeah, but he's Zigfield, the greatest person to ever live. So like <laughs> that. And, and so he comes in and like literally tears off the hem of her gown and makes her take her hat off and makes her like put on these rags to look poor and disheveled so that her sad number plays as sadder and she gets this line of like ah, i see to play for zigfield i gotta be poor and in burlicue i at least got to be middle class right which is great and then she gives a really good performance that is hypnotic enough that he apparently can't turn away from it three floors up in his office where he can't possibly even vaguely see her anymore. Right, right. It is a nice little number, and I do think it's interesting in that there's all these scenes of him having this insight on, like, how to sell a girl, how to sell a show. And that's one of the ones where you really do just sit and, like, yeah, and most of the time that's totally fake and mean and, like, bad. I think because Fanny Bryce is actually playing herself and has some control over that representation, it's not considered ridiculous where she's like, oh, yeah, well, to play uptown, I gotta be poor. Whereas with Anna Held, when he tries to make her famous through this story about her taking milk baths, and that's why her skin is so beautiful, and she throws a fit and is like, I don't do that, and I'm not gonna tell the press that I do that. It makes me sound ridiculous. She is made out to be this, like, totally unreasonable witch who should, you know, just suck it up and tell the press whatever he tells them. Worse than that, she's made out to be so stupid she doesn't understand what he's doing. And with Fanny Bryce, you're like, oh, yeah, I get the bit. I'm the poor little girl. Like, I get it. Great. Thanks. This is going to go great. Whereas with Anna Held, she's genuinely like, why milk baths? Milk baths? I don't understand. You drink it. Like, that like... And that scene goes on forever. So long. And, but it honestly is like a lot of the Ziegfeld girls, a lot of the sequences of like, here's, you gotta have a gimmick. Uh, involve the girl being so stupid she doesn't understand that gimmicks are a thing. She doesn't understand why her gimmick would be X. And with Fanny Bryce, it's like, I kind of hate my gimmick. This gimmick sucks. But yeah, it's going to work. You're right. Because she's a human and not a, like, six-year-old child or a a house cat. Yeah. Like, she can comprehend how performance works. Yeah. Yeah, any... 
is there anything else we've really got to touch on before we rate this film? I I uh, don't think so. I think I think we've I think we've covered it. Yeah. Um th- I'm torn between a 3 and a 4 here. Oh wow. Yeah. I, mm. I I think I'm going to go 4. Yeah, I almost feel like with the level of money and extravagance spent on this film to give it a three, it would have to be worse than it is. Yeah. But I cannot give it a five because it's not, it is not fine. And it's not one of those where like 50% of it is amazing and 50% of it is garbage. So like it averages out to a five. No, no, there's a 20 minute musical number. That's one of the best sequences we've seen in any film so far. But the rest of the movie is middling to terrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a four is is what we're gonna give it, and uh, and and it's really because of that twenty minute musical number that pulls it up to a four. Yeah, don't don't watch this movie. Do YouTube a pretty girl is like a melody from the great Ziegfeld. Honestly, it's one of the great long take shots in cinema history, I'm now going to say. Oh, it's amazing. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very confident backing that statement. But the rest of the movie is not worth your time to actively insulting of your time. <laughs> yeah, and don't look for the a circus should be different than a Zigfield show number because the dogs, while cool, are not worth it. No, it's such a weird number. Yeah, what what's up next week? We are doing uh, Mr. Deeds Goes to Town, the the prequel to the Adam Sandler hit. <laughs> Actually, I don't. I think it's just a remake. Um, but the the but it's Frank Capra, so <laughs> yeah, it's Frank Capra, and I did in fact see the Adam Sandler one when it came out, and I bet there's something in it that indicates that like the first movie happened in universe or something because it came out around the time when people did that all the time but i'll never know because i'm certainly never going to watch that adam sandler movie again because it didn't get nominated (laughs) for best picture for sure oh it didn't i'm so surprised no has any movie with adam sandler ever been nominated for best picture probably uh what was the 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 punch drunk love one he that probably got nominated for something yeah it probably did i am going to find out right now if it got nominated for best picture uh no it didn't it got best director at can uh and it got best actor nomination at the golden globes but it apparently got zero oscar noms well that that's appropriate yeah so spoilers for seven years from the podcast from now um, we're not watching an Adam Sandler movie. I'm sure that's going to come as a surprise. I know, I know. But we are watching another Frank Capra movie, and the last one we watched was objectively the best movie we've watched so far. So I'm excited. Yeah, I am too. So tune in next week when hopefully we will not be direly disappointed. Well, it's under two hours, so we can only be so disappointed. Yeah, that's true. Bye. Everybody. Bye. Bye. <laughs>